Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Cyclocross Magazine podcast. My name is Zach Schuster, and my guest today is Canadian national champion Michael Vandenham. Michael holds the honor of being the first repeat guest on the show. Earlier this year, I chatted with him about his off-season gravel racing, as well as all things Canadian in prep for this year's Pan American Championships in Midland. We recently did an interview on our website with women's winner Megalie Rochette, uh, and today it's Michael's turn on the very friendly hot seat. We chatted the week before Thanksgiving about Canadian Nats and did an in-depth look at his great race against Curtis White at Pan Ams. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy the show. I guess to get started, congrats on your uh, second straight national championship. I imagine you're pretty excited about that, huh? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, it was one of those ones where it was almost a little bit stressful going into it because in a lot of ways it was like well in previous years i've gone in with the goal of winning and i think other results are are okay i i know how to how to deal with those but this year i was going in as the defending champion as i probably the favorite um and realized that at a certain level like the only way i was going to walk away from that weekend happy is if i won again and that's a tough position to be in there's a lot of really good competitors out there and it takes a thousand things going right in a cross race to, to win and only one thing going wrong to not win. So it was, I think it was hugely exciting. And it was also like a huge relief um, to cross the line and go, Oh, well, I, you know, I'm not just, I'm not a one-time champ. I managed to pull this off again. And in a lot of ways, that second time is, is more challenging because of all the expectation and pressure that, that goes along with it. Yeah. I think Stephen Hyde said, pretty much the same thing all of last year you know he won his first title he won his first pan ams and he really wanted that second one you know did you did you talk to him or anyone else who's had to deal with uh that second time or were you kind of going it alone i went out a little bit a little bit alone i mean obviously i am pretty good friends with with hyde um and he was facing the exact same thing last year but uh i think he has other things on his mind right now with all the injuries going on that he's he's had to deal with but no, I felt like I was in a pretty good mental place to handle that. Um, I think we've talked about this before, but one of the things that I really feel like benefits me a lot is I, is I place a lot of importance on mental practice and mindfulness. And more than more than any training I've done in the past couple of years, I credit that a lot with, with whatever improvements I've seen. Um, and I think that really helps dealing with, with these high-pressure situations. You know, it's it's one thing to be able to pull out a good result every now and thing now and then, but to try and go and find some consistency, I think that's the mark of a, a great athlete, and that's something that I'm always working towards. And, and for me, doing that mindfulness practice is a essential part of that. So, like, it looks like with you know that, and you talked about anything can happen in a cross race. The conditions looked pretty gnarly. <laughs> did that benefit you, and how did you approach you know staying? upright it looks like it was very snowy and icy and all that fun stuff um i didn't benefit me i guess i mean on in a normal circumstance i say yeah i really like those conditions i'm really good at them and then on the other hand it's like well yeah but jeff kabush is there and <laughs> anyone who's ridden or raced or watched jeff knows that like i may be good at those but jeff is probably the best at least in canada he, he might be the best in north america at sliding around on his bike on two wheels. That's like, that's his jam. That's how he won his World Cup in, I think, Mont Saint Anne or, or Mont Tremblant. Um, you know, 10 years ago, like 
every muddy nationals that I can remember, Jeff has come out the winner uh, for cyclocross. So sure, it, it sort of favored me, but it definitely made me worried worried about Jeff because on a course like that, some of the like some of the raw power is taken out of it, and I think that's where I, I would have normally had a little bit of an edge on him. I mean, the guy's like. 42 it's amazing how strong he is but i i hope i I hope i hope at this point that i'm able to pedal a little bit harder than him but yeah that when that that when that experience and technical skill comes in into play i i I knew he'd be good and i think he showed that he was like pushing me right to the line in that race that we ended up with like a four or six second gap or something like that and it was getting uncomfortably small near the end um, so we saw at Pan Ams and we'll obviously get to that in a little bit, but you know, you know, those guys super well. And it felt like, you know, your races that whole weekend were kind of like these chess matches, you know, cause you guys know each other and know your strengths, know your weaknesses. Is it a little bit more of a wild card coming into Canadian Nats where you have kind of the more, you know, Kabush was winning Iceman the week before you guys mm-hmm, raised. Mm-hmm. Um, does that change your mental approach going into a race like that? Yeah. I, it, I would say it changes the mental approach, but it definitely adds some unknown factors. I know, like you're saying, I know at Pan Ams, it's like, I know if it's a little bit muddy. I know exactly who to expect to be good. I know I have that information. The only wild card at Pan Ams was maybe hide because we just hadn't seen him racing a lot. But then you go into nationals and I haven't raced Kabush. I raced Kabush maybe in Reno cross, which is like a world and a half away from what the conditions we had at, at Canadian, uh, Canadian nationals. And then I've raced, before last weekend, I'd never raced Marc-Andre Fortier. I, had, I didn't even have him on my radar, and then he shows up and gets seventh at Pan Ams, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, this guy's this guy's going well, and he's here to you know he's here to win as well. And then there's all those top-notch mountain bikers who are just big question marks. There's been years when guys like Raf Gagne, Pete Sarah, Andrew Lesperance, when they've been really really good, and there's been years when they be you know in the middle of their off season they haven't been so good during cross season. Like Raf has won nationals before. Um, so he's always, he's always a big threat. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's funny because I think anytime there's a Jersey on the line, you get a a lot, there's a lot of really good athletes in Canada and a lot of them happen to be mountain bikers. So they start coming out of the woodwork and these are guys that they know what they're doing. They've done world cups. They've won other national championships and other disciplines. So you just can't count them out. It makes the favorite every, every year at nationals, people are like, Oh, like who are you competing against? And he's like, well, I, I have no idea, but I know it's going to be hard. So I guess one thing I I noticed is you won, Mags won, uh, Ruby West won, Gunner won, and I believe it was Colton Woods won. You guys have a lot of, that's like four or five people who are focused specifically on cyclocross. Um, Are you kind of stoked that the jerseys will be making a lot of appearances over the next year at cross races? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I mean, it's really good for us to have all of those people in the jersey. We had a, a number, we had a couple repeat champs, I guess, really just Ruby and myself. But it was great to see that Magalie is going to be representing that thing for, you know, three months in year. Oh, I'm in, unless she chooses to wear the Pan Am jersey. But um, I hope she'll be representing the Canadian jersey for three months in Europe. Um, and, I mean, Gunner has made huge, we won't really get to see it on his back very often, but he's made huge strides this year, I think. As a lot of people have seen, he was up there in Cincy, had an awesome ride in Pan Ams. I think I was talking about this a little bit last year, but I really do think the future of Canadian cross racers is is pretty bright. I mean, I'm only 26, and 
in a lot of ways, I'm already sort of the old guard, and there's a lot of kids that are coming up under me. Like, Gunner beat me on Sunday, and he rode a great race. So I think there's a lot of kids that are coming up that can sort of take whatever whatever I've done in the sport. Um, I think that's going to be eclipsed in, in five, ten years by these by these younger riders who have started out racing when they were 12, 13, 14. And that's a really exciting thing to see. So we saw this year was a you know big expansion into Canada. Pan Ams made their way up there. We had we were supposed to have four UCI weekends. It ended up at three. Uh, you know, with the success and seeing younger riders like Ruby and Gunner focusing on cross, how important it is do you think it is to continue having races in Canada? You know, at the UCI level. Oh, it's it's huge. I think the the biggest one of the biggest barriers for Canadian cross racers for a long time has been like, well, how do you get to the races? It's it's like you have to go down New England for some of those east, more eastern guys isn't that far, but there's nothing for someone who's growing up in the sport. There's really no exposure to the highest level of racing unless you really commit to going out of your way to get there. So in my own career, I I was fortunate that I ran into the right people and I was fortunate that I was able to go to the old USGP in Bend, which really isn't that close to Canada, but it, it was still within driving distance and, and I got to go there and sort of see, you know, what the level was and got to race against Trebone and Powers and Tim Johnson and all these guys. Um, and that's sort of what opened my eyes up to it. But for a lot of other riders, if you don't have a way to drive 7, 10, 12, whatever hours, that's just not going to happen. You'll never be exposed to that. So having these races in Ontario, and I'm really hoping that we're going to see more of them spread across Canada, gives people the opportunity to experience this a lot earlier and just as importantly, just to be like, oh, I can do this. You know, this is something that's at my fingertips. If I invest some more years, some more time, why can't I be like, you know, Fan and Ham out there? Or why can't I be like Mega Lee? Why can't I go out and, and win, win these races or do well and be successful? And I think that's really important, important for the development of the sport is to have these sort of like tangible, visible, exciting things for people in cross to see. Well, and along those lines, being at Pan Am's, uh, I I was struck by just how awesome the Canadian crowd was. Are you seeing that where the the country uh, is embracing cross, uh, not just at like that event, but in general? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I so I started out. I grew up sort of well, early twenties in in the Alberta cyclocross scene, and that was always a big, you know, they, they were doing double headers every weekend. 10 years ago. Um, so it's not like it just popped out of nowhere. The Canadian cross is always, I think Canadian cross has been sort of on this steady growing trajectory for a number of years. The scene I race in now, um, the Vancouver cyclocross coalition gets, you know, three to 500 racers out on most weekends. And then there's like, you go on a boat and go across the ferry. There's another scene with three to 500 racers every weekend, you know, on Vancouver Island. So there's definitely people out here. And I, I think the scene is ripe for growth. In a lot of ways, it's a similar vibe to what the U.S. one maybe was 10 years ago, just before the U- when when there was the USGP and things like that. And, and hopefully, we, the U.S. can I mean, it's still there. The scene's still growing in the U.S. too, but can recapture some of that like sort of grassroots, family-oriented excitement around the sport. And Canada scene can keep on growing. Um, that would be a great situation for us to be in, sort of as a continent with with cross. 
And then before I leave uh, Nationals, um, I was doing some Googling. Do you know which Canadian rider has won the most Canadian Nationals? Going to assume, ooh, I want to assume it's Kabush, but are we talking men's and women's or just men's? Uh, both. Okay, I'm going to say Lynn Bassett on the women's side, and it's got a Kabush definitely has the most podiums. I'm going to say he has the most national titles as well. Okay. Yeah, there's like there's good info back to like 2010, but then um, I, I always find amazing, you know, I grew up following baseball, and I can tell you what some random person in 1872 hit for some, you know, team you've never heard of. And yeah. We're talking about like national championships, and it's always just really hard to find um, for cyclocross. So I guess I'll have to do more digging. Maybe I should uh, hit up Kabush, but... I guess along those lines, I you know we talk about uh, Magali being you know one of the young stars. You're like you're only eight months older than she is. <laughs> oh really? I think yeah, so. How did I get labeled? Actually, so it was really funny. Um, one weekend, one weekend, I was racing against Curtis, and I think I was being labeled as like the veteran or something like that, which is hilarious because Curtis has been racing for so much longer than me. Um, you know, since he was in diapers, he's been doing remounts on his cross bike, and I started when I was like. <laughs> 20 so that was funny just and stuff and then the following weekend at nationals i was being labeled as the rookie when i was racing kabush and i was like wait what am i i guess that's just like the i guess that's just like the the mid-20s malaise or something you just don't don't know if you're old or young well it's weird though because i remember last year you were kind of playing it up how you were kind of the old man at the canadian worlds well exactly (laughs) and then and then i go to canadian worlds and i'm surrounded by like by all these super talented juniors, but at the end of the day, it's like they still live at home, and I, I you know, I'm married, and I uh, <laughs> have a university degree, and it's like, wow, I feel old now. So it's it's just funny, but at the end of the day, I, I really do feel like I'm sort of like in my or entering into my cyclocross prime. You look around at the people who are near the top right now, and there's obviously there's outliers like Gages. Gage is really young, but Gage is also a sort of phenomenal if you will, almost generational cyclocross or road talent in, in the U.S. But for the most part, like Tobin, Carey, myself, even Curtis is only a couple of years younger. Like we're all in with it. We're all within shooting distance of the same age, um, sort of that mid 20s. So that seems to be when people start hitting their stride. Um, Hyde came to the sport a little bit later, but he's only a couple of years older than us as well. Um, so from a career perspective, I think I've got a <laughs> I'm not feeling too old. I think we've got a good five years left in me, but who knows? Could be wrong. Those kids are coming up fast. Yeah, well, but then there's guys like Kabush who, you know, Kabush just, who, who knows? He'll be winning races when he's like 70. I know. There's probably a point when, like, five years ago, and someone's like, oh, Kabush is too old to race now. And he just keeps on proving people wrong at every single turn. Keeps on. It's like he had his best season, from what I can tell, in a number of years this year with doing the Epic Rides and Dirty Kanza and doing some cross stuff and winning Iceman. Um, so who knows? Maybe he'll be like the, what's the guy? What's the Kendall guy? Tinker Juarez? Oh, With the, yeah. the long dread? Yeah. <laughs> maybe Kabush will grow his hair out and be like that guy. In, in, or Ned, maybe he's more like Ned Overland. Yeah, well, I mean, and Ned finished like seventh at Crusher and the Tusher. It's just like, are you kidding me? In like his 60s? Uh, so maybe Easily. that's that's Kabush's future. I brought that up though. I, I I was thinking of questions to put you on the spot. So since you are only eight months older than Magali, who's going to win more Canadian national championships in their career? Well, we're 
tied right now. We each have two. Exactly. I, I that's 20, why I have yeah. a twenty-three one though, so I'm 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 one up on her. <laughs> um, oh, I have no idea. Uh, I think we're we're in pretty similar positions right now, where on some levels we're we're probably going to go into the national championships as the favorite for the next few years, but never know. There's there's we've talked about this before. There's so many kids coming up. Like I obviously Gunner's going to be a huge challenger for me in the future. Fortunately, he's got kind of a couple of years at U, in U23, so he can go stay there. But um. Um, you know, and Ruby's obviously riding really well, and there's a bunch of other people flying to the Canadian radar. Magdalene uh, Valliers was like in Europe last year and getting finishing on the lead lap. You know, Degum another super prestige races as a 16 year old, which is crazy. So she's gonna pop up pretty soon. Oh, so who's gonna win more national titles? Ah, let's just let's just say we both win them for the next you know next few years, and we can both be happy. Keep everyone happy here. So I wanted to obviously talk about uh, Pan Am's oh, as well. Oh, did I just lose you there, Zach? Uh, no, I still have you. We're good. Um, so Pan Am's, you obviously participated in one of the better bike races I've seen uh, in a long time. But before we get to that, uh, we chatted last year and I asked you, you know, what do, we, what do I need to do to be Canadian? Do you want to know what everyone talked about when we came back? Yeah, for sure. Do you have a guess? Well, I mean, based off the the this. The conversation you had with Bill, I think there's probably at least an hour and a half dedicated to how I maybe could have won that sprint. But um, did you guys talk about Tim Hortons? Yes, it was the Tim Hortons donuts. <laughs> All right. So what did you think? Like, what 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 was your honest opinion of Timmy's? Uh, so I didn't have the donuts, but I really liked their potato wedges. I really liked it. I went there at 12:30 a.m. on the the next morning after <laughs> Pan Am's. So I was really happy that it was open and it was a good sandwich. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I, I Americans always ask me, like, oh, so what's Tim Hortons like? And it's a disservice to call it Dunkin' Donuts, because they actually have real food at Tim Hortons, as opposed to, like, bagels and cream cheese. But I feel like it has this similar type of mass following, maybe even more so than Dunkies does. Dunkies? Wait, Dunkies? Is that what you guys call Dunkin' Donuts in Canada? Maybe that's what I call Dunkin' Donuts in Canada, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm learning things left and right. Yeah, it's um I think as as a Canadian I'm like, ah, I'm gonna like, ah, Tim Hortons is terrible coffee. But if I'm on a road trip driving across the prairies and you don't know where to stop, Tim Hortons is the best bet because it's not McDonald's and it's not Wendy's and they have like sandwiches and soup. Yeah. Uh I think it was it was pretty solid. Yeah, it's like a like Dunkin' Donuts and Panera mixed together with not the fanciness of Panera or something like that. I'm not, I'm not sure what to call it. There you go. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, I guess that's the new thing. If if you're coming to Pan Am's next year, which you should, uh, based on how awesome, at least, you know, your race was, and the elite women's race was amazing as well. So the two elite races were just, like, off the hook. You should definitely go next year. But I never liked jumping right to the end. Going in, I looked back and... It was actually, I think on Saturday was your first UCI podium of the season. I know you had kind of a disappointing weekend in Cincy, including rolling a tubular. Um, did you change anything for your approach going into Pan Ams and Silver Goose? Because, I mean, you looked great uh, that weekend. Thanks. Um, no, I actually, I think the results had sort of downplayed how I was riding before that. I think the form was always there. It just hadn't really come together until that point. 
So it was tempting to try to go in and be like, okay, I need to change this. I need to change this. But in reality, all I needed to do was stay the course, double down on doing what I was already doing, because despite what it seemed like from the outside, that was going to make me successful. A big mistake that athletes make is when things aren't going right is trying to change everything. Um, so that was, I was fighting that temptation and I think I made the right choice just to keep on doing what I was doing, keep on do my best not to get frustrated. Um, and, and just keep on being in that routine because some points like this is what has got me to be successful in years past. You can't change everything. That's, that's, that's not going to, that's not going to lead to success in the future. You, you can only, even with like training and diet, you can only change so many things at one time. Um, so the more of the focus was getting into that really flexible, relaxed sort of mental state where I knew that I was capable of achieving these good results. Um, and I was showing up on the start line with all the tools that I needed, regardless of whether it happened or not. Gage went, uh, and you tried to go with him. It seems like you were feeling really good. Um, did that effort and your ability to kind of be the guy who chased after Gage give you confidence heading into Sunday's race that you were feeling really strong for the weekend? Yeah, I, I really, I really think it did. Um, I think I showed there that, uh, maybe, and it's, it's a tricky thing because maybe going after Gage was a mistake in the big picture. Like, I think anyone who was watching that race saw that I was chasing him, I was chasing him, and then basically blew up and Hyde caught me and I ended up third where it's like, okay, looking at that, if I hadn't chased him, I probably would have got second or third anyways. Um, and it definitely cost me. Like, I, I was cramping on the start-finish stretch on the last lap. Um, that's not exactly what you're looking for with a big race the next day. But the flip side of that is, like you said, it was, it was a big confidence boost. I hadn't had that clean race in a while. As much as, as, much as I was staying sort of true to all the, the preparation and mental practice that, and, and reminding myself that the fitness was there, just having a result like that makes everything a little bit easier afterwards, sort of reminds you what going fast feels like, what, what racing for the win feels like. So yeah, that was really good. I knew, I knew from that point onwards that there was no one in that elite men's field that I couldn't beat the following day. Uh, if everything went the right way. Um, of course, at that point I was thinking that Hyde was probably the, the biggest threat, but, um, Curtis has obviously had a really great season and maybe just as importantly, he wasn't racing that day. So we, we didn't really have any idea how he was going. Um, and he was sitting back with his feet up instead of doing an hour max effort. Well, so I get the impression that you, you did listen to our, our super like 18 hour long podcast that we recorded <laughs> after. And so I know, you know, one of the things we talked about was, you know, Curtis didn't race on Saturday. Uh, but at the same time, you were kind of one of the aggressors uh, early on. So kind of in the first half of that race before things started to break up, you know, what was your thought process and kind of what was playing out in that? Like there were 10 dudes in that group at one point. Yeah. So uh, a few things is it was a conscious decision. It wasn't. I mean, it was a little bit fueled by excitement to be racing in Canada, but it was a conscious decision to be leading that out. And I knew that's what I wanted to do leading, going into the race for a few reasons. Um, one of those being that there's actually a lot of roots and rocks on the course. Um, and it was really, really challenging to race in a group without running into them constantly. So it was, it's actually, 
surprising that no one in our group flatted. I thought for sure that would be the case, uh, particularly in upper section. There's just lots of stuff to hit. And as soon as you were one wheel behind someone or two wheel behind someone, it just seemed, it just seemed like you were running over it all the time. Um, the other reason is it was a really punchy course without, with outside, with outside of the start extended pedaling. So the benefits of drafting weren't that significant. I feel like it was better and I could, I could be wrong. Of course. Um, I felt like it was better to lead it out, to be able to dictate how hard you're, you're punching it out of the corners, to be able to see the lines in the corners. And I knew that. I was riding the sand section fairly well. So I thought that that was an opportunity just to continually to put a little bit of pressure and to form those little gaps and then to make people close them down on the start finish stretch or on the sections preceding that. Uh, so that, that was the rationale behind leading a lot of that race. I, and I also just like racing from the driver's seat. I would rather do that and dictate the pace. Of course, the disadvantage is anytime you're doing that, you're giving the people you're racing with a lot of information about how you're riding. You know, they start learning what sections you're riding really cleanly and what sections you're messing up. So I don't know if that came into, came into it at all. Um, but that is the disadvantage of leading it out, you know, outside of course, just the, the drafting aspect. So then obviously the group got down to four, which I think there's a pretty fair argument to make. It's the four that we expected. Uh, in that group. And then Hyde kind of came alive right before his crash. Were, was there any sense of panic? You know, like once he, because I'm assuming you were waiting for him to make a move and he made a move, <laughs> uh, you know, which ended, his season has been so rough, but you know, what what was the thought? What were you thinking at that point? I I actually thought that that was, Hyde, yeah, Hyde was definitely starting to put an attack in. He, he started going after just after those like two or three short steps and then up the hill. I was actually pretty happy with it. I was the next guy back on his wheel and felt like I was following him okay and felt like he was blowing the group apart. I'm not sure what it looked like from the outside because it's really hard to gauge whether gaps or not were forming behind behind um, behind him and behind us. But from my perspective, I was like, well, I can follow this. I think this is a good thing. And I was hoping that it was going to basically end up being dual between he and I. Um, I, I would rather that... Like I needed someone else to blow that race up. I didn't want it just to be the four of us riding around and then going for a sprint. That's that's not a great position to be in. I'd rather it be more of an individual contest. Um, but of course, Hyde's attack ended up being really race shaping in a totally other way. In insofar as when he did crash, I got a little not much, maybe a second or two, but a little caught up behind him. Kerry got a little caught up behind him, and wherever Curtis came from was the totally opposite side of the course and basically had a clean shot up the run up and like that Hyde's crash made made the race in a lot of ways um or made the dynamic of the race i can't i went over and, and chatted with him afterwards and kind of joking like man that's that's a really dedicated teamwork right there follow <laughs> yourself in hold up the competitors and uh give curtis the the five seconds he needs or you know five seconds of, of that gap uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I hope that he was in good spirits. I know it's been a really rough season for Steven. He's, yeah, so. he's a. I'm sure, I'm sure it's hard. I can guarantee that it's hard. He, he's a competitive guy and wants to be out there and wants to be racing us. And I know he had big goals as far as being in Europe goes. But on the other hand, like Hyde's one of the most, if not the most, resilient athletes 
I've ever seen. Um, like you, I'm fully confident that he's going to be back, whether or not he's at peak fitness for nationals or later in the season, or whether he's refocusing on the mountain bike season. Like this isn't something that's going to break him. He'll be he'll be back at full force sooner than anyone thinks. I think. Yeah, it's funny you were giving him a hard time because I was uh, standing near him after World Cup Waterloo, and even Wout was giving him some shit. So <laughs> I guess it's just all in the all in the game. Like Wout walked by and was I, I forgot what he said, but he was giving him a hard time. <laughs> yeah. So then Curtis went. My opinion, the lap of the race, your seventh lap, uh, you closed that gap. Uh, the crowd went nuts. You know what was going through your mind, and how how did you get back to Curtis's wheel? Because that was just that was incredible to watch yeah you know we went we went through with with two to go it must have been and i think he had like eight or ten seconds or something like that there was a couple things this one i was like well it just got in his mindset like well this is the race if i'm going to win i need to get there now and i don't really have an option um and the other thing is like there was just so much crowd support it was amazing i i have i don't think i've been at a race where i've had that much support directly for me i and and it's even more so like I've raced nationals in Canada and people are always great, but something about this being the Pan Am championships and the Canadian fans, there just wanting to root for their country made it like, it made it really loud. It made it deafening. It made it, it was something I've never experienced before. Um, and that sort of just spurred me on. Like I was getting time checks from, from people all over the course. I was getting like Gunner on the sidelines yelling at me, uh, maybe that was on the last lap of being like, you're cornering better than him. Attack him in this section and stuff like that. Um, you know, there's a great photo of my teammate, Ben. Um, I think it's on the on the CX hairs, like the cover photo uh, for the podcast that you guys did, where he's basically like leaning over the fencing, screaming at me. So it was I definitely was feeling the love um, and it's just speculation. But I sort of think that that was a part of what got me back to Curtis that there was so much support and I felt like I had no choice. I just had, I had to get there. I, whatever it took is like, I just, I just got to get to Curtis and make this race happen. Um, and with all those fans cheering me on and, and, and doing that, it's almost like I didn't have, there's no time. There's no time for self doubt. You're just like, Oh, I'm just going to get there. Whatever it takes. Yeah. You, I mean, you probably didn't notice it cause you were, uh, I don't know, racing and closing the gap, but man, when you pulled around onto the start finish straight, and, you know, the announcer was just playing it perfectly. And he's like, oh, and there's Michael Vandenham. Like, I was like, it was nuts. Like, I haven't heard that, like, level of excitement at a cross race maybe ever. Like, it was impressive. It was fun to be a part of. Good. I'm I'm glad. It's like it's cross is one of those hard sports where it can be so incredibly exciting. And then you can also have, like, two minutes between the riders. And you can just it can be golf claps around the whole course. So I'm. I mean, on a different, a slightly different note, like I'm just really happy that Pan Am's was able to deliver these like incredibly exciting races from even the junior men's and the junior men's was like a four up sprint or something, right? It was. It was. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, it's just amazing that it was able to deliver these super exciting tactical battles. To be honest, if we've been watching the men's European races lately, we just haven't really seen in a while. Um, the women's ones have been great for a while but it's like we almost forget sometimes like oh yeah this is this is what cross racing can be and, and we've actually seen that reflected like across the entire north american calendar this year there's been a lot of super tight super close racing um 
in a way that maybe we haven't seen in in years past. I don't think Ellen's been fairly dominant, but for the most part, there hasn't been like one rider who's just walking away with everything. It's been a good mix of people. It's been sprints. It's been last lap battles. It's been different winners in different conditions, um, which is good. It's good for the racers. It's good for the sport. It's good for the fans. So one thing that I noted, uh, I was basically like, I've been impressed. I've been to Pan Am's two years in a row. Like the level of like passion and just the racing has just been to watch you guys race has been incredible. Uh, I mean, we've touched on it, but like why, why Pan Am's and why do you guys give literally everything you have uh, in these races? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe from the outside perspective, people are like, Oh, like what, what's Pan Am's? What does that matter? But to us as racers and to our sponsors, that's, you look at this and that's a jersey that you get to wear for the entire year. There, there's basically two opportunities, you know, let's not count the world championships for, for most of us, <laughs> for the men anyways, for the <laughs> women yet, you can get the yet. world championships. <laughs> but um, there's basically two, maybe three opportunities where you get to have to wear this symbol where, you know, it, it's so many races, like you can go and win all these, whatever race, you can go and win Charm City and it's like, that's an amazing experience, but it can be pretty quickly forgotten. Um, when you win something like Pan Ams or win something like Nationals, you get you get to wear that for the entire year. That whatever happened in your season, maybe that's the only win you got all year, but um, that can be a season saver. That marks a successful campaign um, because you have this jersey that says, no, 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 like on this day, on this course against these people, I was the winner, I was the best. And that's that's where the value comes in. For us Canadians, I think I I hope that's changed this year. I think there's a really strong Canadian contingent pressing in every single one of these races. I think maybe in the first couple of years of Pan Ams, it sort of felt like U.S. Nationals, you know, pre-race. As the Canadian scene has been growing, I think it's now a battle where the American riders are going in and being like, okay, if I'm going to win this, I have to beat these Canadian riders as well. And that's really important for the for the growth of that of the race as well for the growth of that jersey. It can't just feel like oh this is just a normal race weekend. More people have to be coming out. More people coming out of the woodwork, and it, where it's not just like you know oh the the U.S. national champion is like the default Pan Am champion just a couple months earlier. So it's good to see that changing. And from a Canadian rider perspective, we really want that Pan Am jersey because. As a smaller cyclocross nation, I think sometimes it's like, oh, you're, you know, you're national champion, but like it's the Canadian national champion. Does anyone really come to those races? Which of course isn't true, but that's a little bit of the perception where it's like Pan Ams. It's like everyone, everyone knows that everyone's coming to those races. You beat everyone. It wasn't like there's no way that that race is going to be a, a cakewalk. Not that nationals ever is, but that can be the perception. Well, and obviously we love you guys, um, but I, I love that there's kind of like this friendly U.S. versus Canada vibe to it now, right? It was you versus Curtis, Megaly versus Ellen, uh, Clara versus Ruby. Uh, it's pretty cool that, the, you know, that now, like, when we look forward to next year, it can be kind of like this, where you guys are legit, like, going to win some of these jerseys, and now there's kind of like this added rivalry sense to it, and then next year we'll be on your home turf again. So I'm already excited for next year's Pan Ams. Me too. I mean... I think people, Canadians are more uh, more patriotic than than people think. Sometimes we we downplay that part a lot, but uh, Canadians get pretty excited when 
I mean, just watch some hockey games or or turn on turn on the read a newspaper when Canada doesn't win the gold medal at the Olympics, and we, we get pretty pretty excited about our sports and and our athletes. So I think some of that's coming through at, at Pan Am's. Um, that's like the yeah that that that's a lot, a lot of times that's just the goal for Canadians. Just, just gonna beat the Americans. Gonna this little country. We feel like we we have the permanent underdog status. Um, so that means people, the people in Canada get really excited when, when the athletes are doing well. Well, and I think that same is true of like the U S and hockey, right? Like you guys are the, you know, we're kind of the underdogs. We don't always win it. So whenever we do occasionally have a good hockey team, uh, at the Olympic level or at the, you know, uh, folks get really into it. So I, I can definitely empathize with that sense of kind of that underdog feeling for some of our sports. <laughs> I was thinking it was funny. Um, as I, as I had like a little bit more time to reflect on, on, you know, getting second at Pan Ams and losing to me, what was this like pretty heartbreaking sprint, but the support from everyone, everyone was absolutely amazing. And, and I was just like reflecting a little bit and thinking that I guess that's one of the biggest differences between having being in that sort of permanent underdog status where people are just excited that you're out there doing really well as opposed, as opposed to like, if Wout loses, gets second place at the World Championships in February, he's not getting much support from from the Belgian fans. You know that. You know that right away. It's going to be just disappointment all around. And I don't think I have any like takeaways from that. It's just an interesting perspective to to think about. And, and I'm really grateful that I had so many people who were, you know, reached out to me after and congratulated me and we're excited about my result, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting that like if Wilder Santa gets second, they that's, it's going to be a totally different, totally different situation for them. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I, like I said, it was really cool. I know as journalists, we're not supposed to like support athlete, you know, we're supposed to be neutral, uh, arbiters of sport, but it was pretty cool. I, you know, after you kind of were collapsed at the, after the finish and there were other reporters around and you got like eight standing ovations as you started to walk away. And I thought that like, that was pretty cool. <laughs> I have to admit, it felt pretty special to me. I was just really thankful to all the fans, or am really thankful to all the fans that came out there. And above all, like of course, I I wanted to win that one really, really badly. And it's it's hard when it's that close, but I feel like I owed everyone there a good race. And I know they all want to see me win too, but I'm glad that I'm glad that I was able to give a good race. I'd far rather that you know I would far rather come up inches centimeters <laughs> um short in the sprint finish than finish like second or third by you know a minute yeah i think i think that was more valuable like i i was third last year at pan ams and that was a really good result for me but it was different this year being in the race for the win last year hyde was so dominant that we, we were racing for second and that was great and i was ex- i was excited about that but it's just different when when you're when it's a battle for the win like that. So I'm happy I was able to provide that for, for all the spectators. So finally, uh, I guess I've completely buried it at this point and dragged it out, but we got to talk about the last lap um, of, of Pan Am's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, you can feel free to, my argument was that both of you did what you needed to do to win. Uh, it's just that Curtis was a little bit better um, in terms of sticking your wheel uh, what was your what was your approach to that last lap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my approach was I need to drop Curtis before we get to the pavement stretch because I really don't want to sprint him. And I think everyone saw that pretty quickly. Is when I when I caught him, I went to the front pretty quickly, 
And basically for that entire last lap, like if you look at the, I'm not sure exactly what the lap times are, but I know that was one of our quicker ones. So basically that entire last lap, I was just trying to continually force the pressure. And this was a course where I think anyways, that it was best to force the pressure from the front and hope that the person behind you either makes a mistake or you get a little bit of a gap because getting a couple seconds on this course was pretty hard to close down because it was, it wasn't like a nonstop turning back and forth, but there was lots of little punches and lots of sort of technical little corners on it. So that was my plan is I went in there and I just tried to force the pace for the entire lap continually. There's not like I threw down one big attack at any point in time. It was like I was doing a, a last lap time trial, hitting it as hard as I could out of all the corners and trying to drop Curtis. And based off that I'd ridden 10 seconds faster than the lap before, I thought, I thought that was possible. I, the lap before I'd sort of ridden carry off my wheel in the same fashion. Um, not by doing a single big attack, but just by continuing to press the pace. Um, and then sort of my ace in the hole or what I thought was my ace in the hole. was that sand section near the end. Um, I had got the impression rightly or wrongly that I'd been cleaning it better than, than a lot of people around me. And it was a tricky one and really easy to mess up. So I thought, I thought whatever the case is, I want to lead into that because there's, it's only an upside, you know, either you clear it and the person behind you messes up and, and you have a gap or you mess up and the person behind you is stuck behind you and there's still no gap. So that was sort of my strategy. Um, as far as actually coming into the sprint, I don't know. I've thought a lot about this. I, maybe I could have, maybe I could have, um, gone straight to the fencing on the right as soon as I hopped on the pavement, but I sort of think that he would have come around me on, on the other side. Like I, there was no, I don't know how much differently I could have played that. Um, I still think I made the right decision to come onto the pavement first, just given that it was, <laughs> I heard this in the podcast, it was actually a tailwind, given that it was actually a tailwind and that it wasn't super long and that I'd seen a lot of people in other races come onto the pavement first and win the sprint. I, I don't regret doing that. I think it would have had a hard time coming around him. Yeah, I, I, I actually don't know how I how differently I could have played it, especially in the finish. I, I've thought a little bit more. It's like, well, maybe maybe my best bet would have been to to the full lap earlier to absolutely smack it on the start finish stretch and try to attack him sort of before I even got to his wheel. Uh, who knows? I, I it's in a lot of ways it's almost a relief that I'm sitting here being like I. I'm, I'm sure I could have done a thousand little things differently, but I can't think of, I'm not sitting here being like, man, I really messed up the tactics. I'm reasonably happy with how I raced it. And I don't think there's a firm answer for going like, Oh, if I'd just done this one thing, you know, I would have won for sure. I don't have that answer. And that's probably a good thing. Well, and I think that was kind of like what I was trying to say is that in my opinion, you did what you needed to do to win. Uh, it's just like in certain bike races, like someone might do it a little bit better, right? Like Curtis knew that he needed to just be on your wheel. And even through that land sand section to his credit, he did like, you know, <laughs> like you did everything you could to get rid of him. And he was just, he stuck there. Yeah. That, that's very much what I felt. I, I looked back at like when we came out of that sand section, you go by the pits and I was like, well, dang it. I guess I'll like <laughs> go into the drops and we're sprinting. And, um, <laughs> Curtis is like Curtis is a pretty good sprinter. He's spent a lot of time racing on the road professionally, and I haven't. That's not my like. Even when I I did spend quite a bit, of, I have spent quite a bit of time racing on the road, and 
Like no one would tell you that I'm a sprinter. That's I'm a guy who gets some breakaways. I'm, you know, pretty good at time trialing. I'm not a sprinter. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm sure. I'm. I'm sure there are ways that I could have won that race, but I'm. I'm happy with how I raced it, and I'm not going to spend a pile of time dwelling on like what what could have been. Um, I I did that for you know a couple of days, and then it's time to sort of move on and focus on the next goals. So, yeah, I'm just happy there wasn't like any glaring, glaring tactical problems uh, that I could have changed. Maybe the difference was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have just raced the day before. But even that, I'm I'm obviously happy that I was able to sort of give myself the confidence I needed by racing on Saturday. And had I not done that, maybe I wouldn't have had as good a race on Sunday. Or on Sunday. You never know. Yeah, so Curtis talked about you know, when I interviewed him, he was just like, oh, I was just waiting for the last 75 meters, you know, like he's done it so many times he knew where he needed to go. Um, but, you know, going back and watching, I admit, I'll admit, like when I was, I was doing photography and I just didn't want to mess up my photos. So I actually didn't see much of it. I was just like, oh, please get a good photo of this. But going back and watching the live stream, you know, you talked about you did kind of move over to the right. So it seems like you had some idea of how to win a sprint because uh, it seems like you did try to take away, you know, that side from him. Yeah, so I knew um, if there was one, I think if there's one mistake in that sprint is I should have moved over earlier. And I, I was thinking on earlier laps, there's a bit of a cross tailwind coming from the lakeside. So I don't want someone to be able to draft me on sort of the inside of that fence. And I, and even before that, I could hear him coming up on, on that side. And it, But it got to the point where shutting the door a little bit but it just got to the point where was like if i shut the door anymore he's going down into metal fencing and i might be going down too and it's like i can't i can't do that that's not i mean for lots of reasons i might get relegated but like i just can't do that as a as like, i couldn't live with the the result if that happened i wouldn't i wouldn't be happy with it so i sort of we sort of backed off and, and moved back to the center of uh of the course again and, and he had sort of that last little kick to get by me like maybe maybe i only misjudged my sprint by about five meters because it was pretty close on the line yeah well i mean and that's i guess that's that's good to hear that you know that it wasn't so important that you felt like you needed to like take down one of your competitors and you know someone that you're friendly with like i mean that's great like that's one thing that's awesome about watching you guys race is that sense of respect yeah i and i think we i think we have a lot of respect for each other like we but not not such a respect. Like I I don't know if you guys saw the stairs, but there was like there's some elbowing and shouldering and uh, up the stairs earlier. And Curtis is always an aggressive racer, but he's always and I think this applies to a lot of people in the U.S. scene: aggressive racers, but not not dangerous racers. And that's a key difference: is when both people are bought into the battle, that little bit of like that little bit of extra contact there's no problems with that i don't i'm not sure what the actual uci rules are but when we're going up that run-up and battling for position and like elbowing each other and things like that i think that's a good part of the sport that's not i'm not going and finishing the race and going like god curtis and just elbowing each other it's unfair plays like no that's part of the battle that's a really good thing to have and the line gets drawn is when you're actually like when you're actually putting someone else at risk of crashing that's that's when it becomes unacceptable i'm glad that we were able to have tight battles like that and i'm glad that it was able to be a little bit physical because i think it demonstrated to both of us how badly we just wanted to win that race and 
Um, I'm also happy that at the end of the race, we were able to give each other a hug and, and shake hands and yeah. And, and still be like, we're going to be friendly for the rest of the season. That's one of the reasons why I'd never be willing to put someone to the fence like that. It's like, this is someone that I'm going to see for years on end. And, and can you imagine doing that? If it's, if every time you see them like, Oh yeah, I, you know, I crashed that person and broke their collarbone. Um, that's, that's not something you want to do. And not that I want to do that with a stranger either, but like, just having that relationship with 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 someone makes makes the racing more intense, but also more respectful. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting. It. I mean, I know going back and seeing, you know, kind of how physical it got, like that was awesome. I mean, to me, it said it showed how important that race was, you know. But like as you mentioned, I think you put it a good way. It's important to be physical without putting anyone in danger, and I think that's a good lesson for Cross anywhere. Uh, is it gets, you know, it's one of the fun aspects of it. It can get up a little up close and personal, but you know, the same time you don't want to end a dude's season by putting him through a metal barrier. Yeah, exactly. And especially, uh, especially those barriers. I saw the photo and it was like barrier and then scary tape hole. And then us like angling towards the scary tape hole with another metal barrier. And that's like, Oh geez, that was like, I don't know what exactly I was thinking in the moment, but I think I just heard Curtis running over the feet and was like, oh no, we need to go back to the center. And then looking at the photo, it's like, oh yeah, good. It's a really good thing we did that. So, uh, and we'll get, I have one more question after this, but can we, can we add this to the, like the legend of Michael Vandenham, the friendly Canadian? Can we, can we add this to, to that, to the canon of, of your friendliness? The legend. <laughs> well, right, because like at last year at Pan Am's or whatever, there was the uh, Tobin apologizing when it was when we all thought it was you. <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah. I guess it just follows me around. We actually, I was bugging. I forget if it was Saturday or Sunday, but um, Carrie and I had like a funny exchange um, during the race where we basically both apologized to each other. Because I think I think it was I think it was Saturday where he's like where he messed up a line and kind of got in my way and then and then apologized and I gave I made some comment to be about it being like oh we're in Canada supposed to be sorry eh and then whatever we kept on racing um, and then later in the race I got in his way and apologized right back and I thought it was like just a really funny exchange that we're in the middle of a race and like Carrie's Carrie's a really nice guy too and really friendly right so. I don't know. I just thought that was like a really bizarre exchange to be having 35 minutes into this 60 minute race. We're like, oh, hey, sorry, man. The legend grows. I love it. Um, <laughs> don't worry. Every time we chat from here on out, I'll just be looking for ways to add to the uh, to the, the Canadian, the Canadian myth. Um, so, you know, your, your nationals are out of the way. It's kind of to the second half of the season. Uh, where should we look for you and what are your goals uh, for the rest of the season? Yeah, so I have a couple couple weekends at home now. I'm racing the uh, BC Provincial Championships this weekend. But for as far as UCI racing goes, I'll be in Resolution. Um, so I think that's December 1st and 2nd. And then I'll be doing Ruts and Guts. And that'll sort of close out my, uh, my North American calendar. Because, well, there's only U.S. Nationals after that. Um, and then I'm heading over to Europe for Nemur, Zolder, Braden Adigam, Loanout, think that's it coming back home for a few weeks and then i'm heading back over for hogerheide um worlds and then i think i'll be doing maldegum Lille, and hoogstraten and that'll be the end of my season so sort of doing two two little euro blocks um 
and a couple couple more weekends of U.S. racing after this. So my goals, um, I haven't besides nationals, I haven't won a race yet this year. So obviously, going to Resolution Ruts and Guts, that's my number one goal there is to, to walk away with at least one win. You know, four would be nice, but we'll t- we'll start with one. Um, <laughs> and the other goal is, I think, I think. Ruts and Guts is going to have a pretty stacked field. And my goal going into this season was to win a race where everyone was there. Um, you know, I'm talking about Hyde, Carey, Tobin. As I I would love to run a resolution, but I know it's a conflict with Warwick. Um, so, of course, the goal is to win. But my goal all along was to win a race that no one can say, oh, but it was missing so-and-so. Or... You know, oh, but it was with the conflict within the C1, so the field wasn't wasn't as deep. Uh, I, I want to go ahead and, and and win one where that's just not the case, where every every top racer in North America is there. So the Ruts and Gas weekend is sort of one that I've in my last opportunity to do that. Maybe one I've circled in the calendar um, before I head off off to Europe, where of course the goals are totally changed. Uh, the goal there is just to put forward clean races. Um, to be in the battle with those Belgian pros and to sort of forget about the results, just to go out and, and be involved in a good battle day in and day out and, and improve that way. Like I, it doesn't really matter to me that much, whether that battle is um, what result that's for. I don't have any sort of numerical, like, Oh, I really want to finish in the top 20 or the top 30. I just want to be there and feel like I'm in the race and be able to learn and take away a lot of stuff from that. Well, cool. Uh, I know we're looking forward to seeing the uh, the Canadian national jersey uh, racing in those races, and yeah, it'll be. I hope that um, you know for the rest of the domestic races that you guys turn in some more some more great battles that are fun to to watch and and to hear about. Uh, I would I count on it. the The resolution course and the ruts and guts course definitely lend themselves to small, intense battles. So I think I have no doubt that it's going to be an exciting racing to finish off the season. Well, cool, man. Well, thank you so much for taking uh, the time to chat with me over coffee uh, this morning. And yeah, I'm super excited for you. And congrats uh, so much on your second title. And I mean, really a a second place of Pan Ams that is absolutely nothing to be ashamed of (laughs) in any way, shape or form. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, said, would have been great to win it. Would have taken a lot of pressure off nationals, but I'm, I can't be disappointed. You know, if someone if, if a month ago someone said, hey, you're going to get second at Pan Ams and you're going to win nationals, I probably would have been like, great. That sounds like a pretty good, that sounds like a pretty good string of results. So at the end of the day, I don't really, but I, I'm, I'm happy with how things turned out. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Look forward to seeing what happens the rest of the season and uh, next time that I uh, get to chat with you. All right. Thanks, Zach. Cool. Take care, Mike. You too. Thank you again to Michael Vandenham for taking the time before work to chat with me. As we discussed, his race against Curtis at Pan Ams was an instant classic and a sign of how important Pan Ams has really become for North American racers. All of our cyclocross coverage is available online at cxmagazine.com, and music for this episode was provided by Loyalty Freak Music. Thanks for listening, and I hope everyone has or had a great Thanksgiving.